I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Ty Seifu. You're back with another episode of hit podcast, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Our Everyone's favorite. talking about it. Yeah, my favorite podcast in the world. Number one source of hockey news. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a new beginning. I haven't <laughs> done anything like that yet. Anyway, uh, you just reminded me before we started that we actually haven't recorded since Carolina, New York, Game 7 of Round 2. So we haven't had a chance to talk about that and perhaps eulogize the Carolina Hurricanes, which feels so long ago, especially because... One of the series of round three might be ending tonight. So so what is that? Let's start with that. Let's go chronologically. Carolina, New York. Uh, New York won on the road. Carolina lost at home in that game seven. Never before seen. And uh, the Hurricanes were sent home packing. Yeah, that's right. I actually managed to call one right this time around. Um, and so, yeah, it was six to two that game seven. And, you know, Shostrukin really kind of the story of that series because while the, you know, I thought the Canes were, you know, a five on five, especially the better team. Um, and, you know, they were able to maintain a lot of offensive, you know, possession. They were never able to consistently finish score goals on Igor Shesterkin. Uh, and, you know, you know, good for the Rangers. They came to play, uh, but, you know, Shesterkin played really well. And at the end of the day, that's kind of really what the story was for Carolina, right? They, their, their metrics were good. They were good possession-wise. Uh, and, you know, defensively, they were fine. But they never kind of got that offense going to the point where, you know, you could win that extra road game uh, to seal it off early. Because you don't want to end up in a Game 7 situation against Igor Shesterkin. Like, I can't really, you know, they kind of did look flat. They kind of look, you know, a bit wilted uh, in that Game 7. So you can't really blame them for losing that Game 7, I don't think. I, I I honestly thought going into it, like, man, that's it is a scary proposition. But for them to have already brought it to seven, they probably, you know, for them to win it, they should have closed it earlier. Uh, and they just, they couldn't finish, they really couldn't finish their scoring chances consistently. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, I, we'll talk about this more when we get to New York, Tampa, and how that series has started. But the Rangers seem to have hit their stride at the right time. And they're lucky they even got the chance to because we covered after they beat the Penguins. They were absolutely killed by the Penguins. They should not have made it out of that series alive. Uh, series against Carolina started similar way. They went down 2-0. Um, but a combination of you know Shesterkin getting to the absolute tip-top of his game, Zabanajad and Kreider both simultaneously uh, being on insane hot stretches, and then they beat the Hurricanes in four out of five to end the series, and they have a lead against the Lightning now in round three. Right. and it's, Oh, man. It, it does, you know, yeah, they're hitting their stride, but it still feels like like they're getting every fucking bounce out there. Um, and that they're, you know, it's, it's just the vibe is that they're insanely lucky. A, to a to have just, like, gotten past the first round in the first place. Um, but I don't know. It's just like it's their formula is really that, that, that Zabanajad Kreider line. Right, so it's really just one line because they're together, and then you know relying on Igor Shesterkin. There's really, there's been nothing else to that formula. I mean, like you know, at the beginning of this Tampa series, you had some, you know, like the kids line or wherever you get some depth scoring uh, from like Kapokaku had a nice game, but it, like in a, in a broader sense, their formula is so one dimensional. But Igor Shesterkin is just good enough to to kind of you know drag them through to the third round. It's incredible. Like I. 
You know, like I, I've never had worse vibes from a team that like keeps winning, like relatively convincingly, you might say. Um, well, I don't know about convincing. I don't know what the word is, but it's just like it's it seems so contradictory. I, I hate to see it. I hate the Rangers. They're terrible. I'm not a fan. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, let us not forget our Timmy Panarin and Adam Fox are both on the Rangers, right. too. Yep. And Panarin hasn't even been, you know, producing at the tip top of his game, though. He's been quite good. Um, I would say about the Rangers that we they're kind of maybe two different kinds of luck a little bit. There's they're lucky that they're playing so well now. But and there would also be, oh, they're lucky they don't deserve to win those games. And I don't think that that's what's going on with the Rangers, because you look at this hot stretch they've been on as of late and they've deserved the hot stretch, you know. They've outplayed their opponents. They outplayed Tampa Bay in the first two games and deserved to go up to nothing. The other kind of lucky was what happened against Pittsburgh when they got totally dominated the entire series but won anyway. So I think, you know, you got to hand it to them. They actually are playing like a conference final team. And at least for the past eight games or so, they've played like a team that deserves to go to the Stanley Cup final too. Interesting. You know what? You say you got to hand it to them. I won't hand it to them. I, I summarily okay. refuse to. Um, yeah, you, you I had completely forgotten about Adam Fox, who has had a spectacular postseason uh, as, you know, one of the two, three best defensemen out there uh, in the entire playoffs so far. Uh, but, you know, Panarin hasn't produced. And it just feels like they're getting outplayed. Like, even at 5-on-5, even against the Lightning. Like, you know... Like they, it just feels like they're a tier below some of these teams, but they they managed to goalie their way out of it. Now, granted, yes, t- you know, two, three of their players are having a great time, uh, but you know, collectively, I just you know I can't I can't see past the three four players and see a you know a, a conference final worthy or even a Stanley Cup final worthy team. So you know what, consider me a hater, but I am I'm not sold on these Rangers. I never have been. I picked them to lose in the first round, and I maintain that they they're a team of a caliber that should have gotten eliminated there. So there, that's my that's my hot take of the day. Hey, well, I'll say I'm not sold, in the sense that I wouldn't be surprised if the hot streak you know fizzled out immediately, and Tampa was the next three games, and the Rangers are out because on paper I don't think the team is conference final caliber. All I'm saying is, I think they've been playing like one that is lately. So they're not lucky to be up two to one. There, that's all. I don't know. I don't know about that because I feel like you know, as I said, those three, four guys, great vibes. But everybody else, is this? Are they playing like a conference final team? Are they really like? Is Artemi Panarin playing as if you know? Is he playing as well as you'd imagine if he was in the conference final? I wouldn't say so. And like, you know, I, I'd say the same thing about the Oilers. Do the Oilers feel like a conference final team when in the second round, six of their fours didn't have a single fucking point? No. doesn't feel like a conference final team. Uh, like McDavid and Dreisaitl played well enough to drag them there. And I would argue the same thing about Zabanajad, Kreider, and Shesterkin and Fox. But, you know, I'm not just talking about on paper. I'm just talking about like, even just like, it feels like they're bottom nine. Gets outplayed on a game-to-game basis pretty regularly. But, you know, these four players managed to, you know, make up the difference. Like, just look at putting up, like, GCVA, like, GSF, their gold save above expected. Like, you're putting, like, 1.5 a night. That's ridiculous. Yep. Of the Oilers, I would definitely agree with you. 
Um, especially in that they're down three nothing in their series, <laughs> and the Avalanche have been decidedly outplaying them. Um, and the Oilers deserve to be down three nothing. Uh, well, all I'm saying is this is like the fourth time I'm saying it. New York has played very well so far okay. in in round three. Yeah, right. at the end. Um, before we, <laughs> I, I guess that's kind of you know we've talked a lot about that series without officially moving on from Carolina, but I think we should circle back to them a little bit and talk about the immediate outlook um, because they have a few big name UFAs and RFAs this summer. UFAs include Vincent Trocek, Nino Niederreiter, and I guess that those are pretty much anything that can kind of count as a big name. After that is Max Domi, Derek Stepan, Ian Cole, and Brendan Smith. Um, but in the RFA category, uh, Martin Nachas, Tony D'Angelo, uh, and Ethan Bear all need new deals. And they have just over $19 million uh, projected to, to get it done. And quite a few holes to fill. And D'Angelo is the most interesting one to me because he was just, of course, you know, on the one million uh, bargain basement, you're a terrible person deal, so you won't get as much money as your on-ice play would indicate. Um, But then his on-ice play was excellent, and the Hurricanes are probably, you know, falling over themselves to give him a massive raise. What number do you think he ends up with? Oh, God. I don't know. Five by five? Because he's such a PR disaster, that's that's where is I'm he at. the PR disaster? I think because this year he wasn't really on the map. No one talked about him. I think they're ready to go. Mission accomplished, Tony. You're a good guy now. <laughs> Take your worth. So what's your number? <laughs> um, I think based on his offensive production, a starting ask could be incredibly high. Could be like seven million AAV. Oh honestly, God. I don't, I've, he's I'm, awful I'm in smelling, his own zone. He's awful I'm in his own zone. I'm smelling albatross. I am smelling albatross <laughs> coming from a mile away here. My <laughs> official guess, okay. my official guess, I, I think I think four years, I think they want to be relatively cautious on term because, you know, this is uh, you know a bomb that could blow up at any minute potentially. And so I think they will take the like a three or four year thing and they'll – bite the bullet on cap it and it's going to end up like around six that's my prediction okay all right so we're we're in generally similar ballparks i guess uh, i would say i'm in the longer camp um but yeah either way i think we agree you shouldn't sign this guy and you know when it comes to pr i feel like it's one thing like it feels like the hockey world has kind of accepted you know you can give a shitty guy like you know shitty off the ice a million dollars or whatever and it's okay and people won't talk about it past a month but i feel like if you're paying the guy like you know 20 million dollars over however many years i feel like it's different but i don't know i i I can't predict the reaction of the hockey world but you know i feel like the vibes are different so we'll see we'll see if there's a negative reaction probably not as much honestly as i would hope but yeah i also i agree with you um, I think that, you know, if D'Angelo gets some kind of big contract, but he, you know, stays quiet like he has for one season, I, I think, you know, there won't be any narratives resurfacing. What I'd be concerned about, D'Angelo knew, like, you know, one year, $1 million, 
you know, I'm really on the edge here after, you know, 11 warnings. I better actually shut up this time. And if he gets his big contract now, does he go back to his old ways? I would absolutely not bet against that. You're absolutely right. You know, maybe he gets... Uh, did he just, like, leave Twitter? What was the bit? Or did he get, like... Oh, yeah, he, he did leave Twitter at one point. And yeah. And was like, I'm going to whatever fascist patriot network media, whatever. I don't remember what it's called. What was it called? Parlor. Parlor, yeah. <laughs> I do not know what he, what he's been up to on there. Me neither. Can't say I've followed uh, him or 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 that you know platform, but uh, but yeah, I you're right. I could see him fucking unhinging his mouth and going off about whatever. Now that he's got job security once he has it. Uh, but but yeah, I would not pay Tony D'Angelo that much money. Not even just because of his off the ice stuff. But he's just, I feel like he's overrated in general. Like, he brings offensive production. Sure, he can be your power play guy. But not a power play guy who gets paid, like, you know. Like, he reminds me of, like, you know, slightly younger Tyson Berry, who's, you know, more explicitly racist. Like, you know, he's terrible in his own zone. And, you know, he brings power play quarterback vibes. But, like, that's it. That's it. And so he's he's just, he's not good. You know, his body of work does not indicate a defenseman worth five million dollars a year or even really four if you ask me i think well i think four is probably the limit if we were disregarding his off the ice stuff mm-hmm. um yeah honestly i feel like this is exactly the type of player that you know the 200 hockey men would say can't win championships with him uh even just for the on ice play you know uh scores a lot but he's soft he can't clear the front of the net or whatever and not to mention uh the series against New York, did he have like one point? He was practically invisible. So he, he disappeared in the big moments too. Just, you know, X's all around for, for Tony. You'll have to see it. You'll have to see it. Um, elsewhere on the, on the roster, um, you know, when it comes to defensemen, I feel like, you know, if depending on how, how valuable you view Tony D'Angelo as, it's really kind of the depth guys that they're tinkering around with. Um, you know, Ethan Barron, you know, since he's, his trade, uh, never really managed to break through with the team. Uh, Ian Cole is, you know, he's Ian Cole, and you could say the same thing about Brendan Smith. You know, they're they're bottom of the roster guys. You can sign them for cheap again if they if they want to come back. But otherwise, I feel like you can replace them for cheap. Uh, so you know, if they let Tony D'Angelo go, I think it's a matter on defense. It's a matter of you know finding an offensive guy to kind of put with uh, with Slavin or Shea uh, up in the top four, and. You know, some cheap additions on the back end. Perhaps you go young. Yeah. Um, I'm still a, an Ethan Bear believer. I don't think he was really given a, a fair shake in Carolina. He showed, you know, flashes of being very capable in Edmonton and also with the Hurricanes. Um, but coaches throughout his career have done the, it makes one bad decision. And all of a sudden, you know, he's in the press box for three games or something. Kind of uh, Mike Riley has suffered from a similar thing, even though I do think with both both players, uh, the good outweighs the bad, even though the good is sometimes, you know, very simple, effective plays that you don't always notice, and the bad uh, are few and far between, but they're flamboyant. And so that's what sticks in people's heads. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, who, who else Who else kind of gives that? Like, uh, yeah, Mike Riley's a good one. Or like... Uh... Who's, who's someone some who's star he, like PK Subban when he was you know yeah. winning Norris trophies and being up for Norris trophy obviously you know that's kind of a higher level of thing um but that's what people thought like oh he's bad because he turns over the puck every once in a while uh forgetting that you know 
he racked up a bunch of points at even strength and on the power play and drove play and had the puck for like 75% of the game. So of course he's going to end up turning it over a lot too. Yeah, absolutely. So like, you know, organizationally we see often with this kind of player, uh, not much patience, not much patience to be had. And that's, you know, detrimental to their development. He's only what, like 24. So yeah, you know, there, there's, there's definitely potential to be unlocked. Um, it's just, it's just to be seen if they, they have that kind of patience with him, uh, to give him the ice time and to give him stability, like tell him, you know, you've got this bottom six role locked down or, you know, bottom pair role locked down, uh, and, you know, see if it goes from there. But, you know, he's an RFA might not get that qualifying offer if they don't, you know, it, it's low risk that qualifying offer, but they don't see, they don't want to, you know, they don't see a future with him. Might not give it to him. Uh, up at forward. Wait, what was, yep. what was his cap at this year? Ethan Bear? Here, let do me you know, just, do you remember? Uh, I think it was like um, 800, mm, 2 million actually, feel, 2 the, million. Ooh, that, that might be, if they, cause they were healthy scratching him a lot. That might be a no qualifying offer type thing. He might be hitting the open market. Ethan Bear UFA. There we go. You heard it here first folks. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't see like, what's the rule on qualifying? Do you have to like at least increase a bit? On their previous, uh, it depends if it's like an ELC. I I can go on Cap Friendly now, where they have qualifying offer calculator, and I can just search his name and click on it, and then it will tell me what his qualifying offer needs to be. And Ethan Bear's base sal—it's not based on the cap; it's the base salary actually. And this year it was two and a half million dollars. So, uh, his qualifying offer this year must be two point four for some reason. It has to be. I I don't understand yeah. why. But that's what Cap Friendly said. So if the Hurricanes don't want to offer him a two point four million AAV, then he will be hitting the open market. Yeah, I I think that's likely at this point. Um. So yeah, they they do have twenty million dollars of cap space. Uh, like notable forwards, as you said earlier, it's probably you know Trocheck. He's twenty eight. So if you want to keep him, that's the that's him hitting his pay dirt. And Nakish Natchez Natchez, uh, who's an RFA. That. You know, combined, if you do sign them together, what's that going to cost you? Like 10 mil max, right? You would Absolute think. max. At the very max. Uh, so, you know, they, they've definitely got cap space to go out and make a decent-sized acquisition in free agency. Uh, and, you know, given what we saw, you know, especially, especially in that last series against the Rangers, you'd have to imagine they go and try to add perhaps some, you know, scoring talent up front. Uh, with some with some goals, significant goal scoring capabilities. Mm-hmm. I think I know you. Trocheck's kind of like on the tail end of his prime. I think you really got to try to bring him back though. He was such a great fit the entire time. Uh, after he came from Florida, it's like wow. Now we have two scoring lines instead of one, and it really it made a world of a difference. And I think even though he is twenty eight, this team is in its window, and that's a player you really want to try to bring back. Uh, Natchez is an is an interesting one because he's kind of, you know, he is only 23, but he's kind of stagnated in terms of production. Like, uh, he actually had fewer points in significantly more games this year than last year. Um, and that is perhaps a slight concern for a player whose calling card has been offense. So I think he gets bridged, maybe like a two-year deal, maybe like two and a half to three, honestly. Could put, maybe maybe that's low, maybe over three, um. But you had you know whatever Nate whatever he's gonna get plus whatever Trocheck is gonna get maybe about five million, um. Plus with what D'Angelo is probably gonna get, we're looking at maybe somewhere in the range of 13, 14 million, 
which you know does leave uh six million or so five or six million um but it also does leave openings around the edges of the rosters because there are a lot of you know these fourth line bottom pairing guys that are ufas that you need to bring in so i don't know if it's such a great situation for them to be swinging for the fences in free agency or in trades trying to bring in a big name player Right, but I think this roster does need some tinkering, you know, other than just kind of bringing the back the, the dudes that you want to. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. They didn't feel like a dominant team to the point where you can f- like rest assured that they'll make a deep run in the playoffs, or at least you know a relative degree of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but you know, but this is not this is not the first year where they kind of fall short. Uh, they've done it in years past too. Recently, it just seems like this core kind of needs something extra in that top six. I think. You're right. You do need to bring Trocek back because he brings good value as that as that kind of that second second line center. And if you don't have him, you're, you're you've got kind of a huge hole at two C. Uh, so I think you know bringing him back is imperative. But it it does feel like you know this this forward core goes through stretches of good play, but they can't find you know that finishing. Yeah. Um. Here's an option. If, instead of bringing back Vincent Trocek. Sign Nassim Kadri. Perfect. That's going to be the first thing I think of any time uh, there's, you know, a team with an opening at center that we talk about. I'll say they should try and sign Nassim Kadri. Man, how old is Nassim Kadri? I feel like uh, he's been, I don't know, <laughs> 31. So long. Oh, he is 31. just had a career okay. year. Right, just exactly. had a career year by far. <laughs> he peaks at 31. That's a, It's such a strange concept. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of risky at his age, but with the production he brought, he's like, you know, he's the perfect, you know, Stanley Cup winners, second round, a second line center, which is... How what, about this? What's that? How about another option that yep. center of Genny Malkin? That works too. Um, So... Right. And Strom, Patrice Bergeron. Look at all these names. <laughs> you really kind of tell that Ryan Strom. I don't know. I don't know how much of an upgrade <laughs> Ryan Strom is. It doesn't really but, fit in with the other names, I guess. Yeah, yeah it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, but if you don't bring back Trocek, that it do, it does give you significantly more room to kind of maneuver, right? Like, say you take I don't know three of that six million dollars to you know supplement the the back end of your roster. Uh, if you take that Trocek money, what you got eight million dollars in cash space you can spend. So, you know, that's you can bring in a very good name at that price uh, if you decide to try to upgrade on Trocek. So that might be the move. Um, I think, yeah, you can really kind of go for a big name if you decide to move on from Trocek, replace him as the second line center. Um, but you can get a decent piece, I think, you know, in the top six, if even if you bring him back, because I don't think his money is going to be too high. Mm-hmm. Another weird thing with, with the Hurricanes, they've been talked about lately as like, having so many great uh, forwards in the pipeline. Remember when Tom Dunn bought the team, he was like, we're never drafting defensemen in the first round. And they still haven't. And even in the second round, they you know, they drafted, uh, well, Seth Jarvis has been as great as expected or even better in his rookie season. Um, Noel Gundler, Ryan Suzuki, Jamison Rees, Dominic Bach, Jack Drury, Vasily Ponomarev. These are all some names they drafted. And in the case of Bach acquired uh, in trades, then they're all like 22 and under. And it's like, you know, just you wait. These players are going to break onto the scene and and they're going to rock. And I know it hasn't been that long, but I was looking the other day through these players' production in all their leagues. 
And it's like, I don't know, I expected a little more from guys like Suzuki <laughs> in the AHL. He was under half a point a game this year. Probably not ready to make the jump. Uh, still, he's, he's 21. Uh, Dominic Bach, let me just refresh myself. Uh, similar story, 10 points in 32 games in the AHL. Uh, almost a point a game in the DEL, though. I guess that's a good sign. Uh, Drag- Jack Drury played a little bit in the NHL this year. Uh, he played two games and got two goals, uh, and he was quite good in the AHL. So that's a different story. He's probably ready to make the jump for sure. Um, but yeah, like Suzuki, Bach, Jamison, Rees, uh, throw him in there too. Are They all had excellent production in their minor leagues, but the jump to pro has been a little bit of a slower adjustment period than the Hurricanes were probably hoping for. Right. I think, but that's, I think that's, you know, more or less normal. Uh, in in terms of you know in a in a broader sense, uh, because you know development can you know swing back and forth from year to year. Uh, it's just a matter of you know not kind of relying on the, those kind of guys to make that jump onto your NHL roster and be immediately productive and have that organizational flexibility to be able to ease them in, right? Uh, especially for a playoff team. So you know I think the the Hurricanes are in a kind of position right now where. You know, they're not they're not really hoping, like, especially for the immediate future, um, for one of these guys to make a meaningful contribution because the roster is so strong. I think they're more looking for, you know, some like some proven finishing talent uh, to really kind of make that jump because the roster, you know, as is, is already pretty damn good. Right. Uh, it's just some elements are missing. And, you know, if, if any if any of these guys do pop this year and, you know, they, they join him for the stretch run, I think. It's you're playing with house money, and I think that's that's a good vibe. Um, I think it's 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 a matter of concern. You know, they're all about twenty two, or you know, twenty to twenty two. Uh, it's a matter of concern, maybe in a couple years, but I don't. You know, it's not alarm bells quite yet because I think organizationally they're still pretty solid in terms of not relying on these youngsters to put, to kind of come in next year. Of course, the most important RFA in this organization is goaltender Beck Warm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 23 years old, uh, 18 ECHL games this year with oh, a 912 save percentage. Not bad. And one, one AHL game ah, with an 800 save percentage. That is bad. Um, <laughs> Those are the numbers for Mr. Warm this year. Uh, my guess is no qualifying offer ah. based solely on the fact he is an ECHL goalie. <laughs> um, but maybe some other team somewhere in our planet Earth We'll sign him to a deal, and we will update all you folks when that time comes. That's right. He's top 10 on our UFAs to watch, or no, not UFA yet. FAs to watch. RFA. Potentially a UFA. Um, that's right. You heard it here first. We've got up-to-the-minute coverage on Beck Warm that you literally <laughs> won't find anywhere else other <laughs> than find- perhaps his house. All right? That's it. <laughs> the only place. We are... I can 100% guarantee that our podcast is the number one source of news in the entire world on Beck Warm. Take that to the presses, folks. That's right. Uh, if I don't see a meaningful boost in our numbers, I will be cheesed because we have the, we it, it would be a justified increase. We have found our niche. Uh, yes, it's Beck. So yeah, that's that's it for the the Hurricanes. They're dead now, and. Mm-hmm. That's uh, rest in peace, I guess. Actually, one last thing. Yep. One last thing on them. My early, early prediction for Carolina next year is the goaltending falls apart and they miss the playoffs, which I thought was going to wow. happen this year. 
but I'm, <laughs> I'm calling it for next year once again, especially based on Freddie's injury. Ranta got injured like twice in the playoffs. Um, Kochetkov, I don't think, is quite ready for the big time yet. I think it falls apart. You don't think the, the I, a re-signed Beckworm will make the difference? That's, nope, because I don't think they're going to keep Beckworm. I think they are too stupid to re-sign Beckworm and he's going somewhere else. Get your shit together, Eric Kulski. Look at the numbers. He's uh, you got to bring. <laughs> look him at the back. numbers. Just don't look at the numbers if you're gonna resign back warm. <laughs> Good point. Um, but yeah, you're right. They'll be like 33 and 34, and they've been injured, you know, for large swaths of their respective careers. Not not a good vibe to be kind of relying on these guys. Um, and yeah, I think we just found out like Freddie had an MCL tear. That sounds Yikes. pretty serious. Uh, knee injury. So, you know, it's 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 one thing to have one goalie who has an injury history. It's another to have two with significant injury histories that keep popping up. You know, it's not like these were like Arizona and Toronto things. Um, no, they, they happen in Carolina, too. So who knows? Maybe they'll be in the market for a, you know, above average third string goalie. We shall see. Uh, so yeah, my prediction, I think they'll, well, I mean, the thing is, there's not much there in the, in the Metro is there, right? Sure. There I mean, is. Here's, the Rangers. I mean, sure. Yeah. Capitals are, are, well, I guess they're not great, but there we go. Then there's them. There's the Penguins. <laughs> the Islanders probably won't bounce back because now Barry Trotz isn't their coach anymore. Exactly. But you know who I believe in? It's the Devils. I believe oh. in the Devils. <laughs> I do. I, I really think so. <laughs> First of all, yeah, Doug, Dougie Hamilton was injured for a big chunk of the season. If he's healthy all year, that's a massive difference maker to have a, a number one defenseman. Both your starting and backup goalie were injured all year, and you had two terrible goalies, Nico Dawes, John Gillies. The best one you had for an extended stretch, and even that is a stretch, is Andrew Hammond. I think either Blackwood or Bernier is a massive boost. Jack Hughes broke out. Nico Hischier is an excellent two-way forward. Alexander Holtz is probably going to be in the NHL next year. Dawson Mercer is going to take another step. They've got a, they've got a, a ton of pieces. Things are looking up for New Jersey. You know, I think the, the things are looking up in maybe a few years. I think it's it's a bit too soon. Ooh. I don't think there are enough pieces. Um, like for example, their defense. Dougie Hamilton, great, but like you know, Damon Severson, Ty Smith. Jonas Siegenthaler. The list goes on. <laughs> list goes on, and there, as in there are defensemen in this organization. Uh, <laughs> list goes on to Ryan Graves. Wow, Riley Walsh. Very, very impressive. Um, you know, if very impressive if for maybe bottom of the bubble in the Eastern Conference, but which might be good enough. Maybe I think Carolina's roster is just good, too good, even despite their goaltending, to miss the playoffs entirely. I can see them not winning the division again, though. Absolutely, uh, especially with that goalies. But uh, I say third, third in the Metro. You heard it here first. Okay, not as hot as a take as yours. Um, nope. So I go big can... or go home. Home run hitter, or he'll strike yeah, that's out. Me. We'll see. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we can, I don't think we, yeah, as you said, we didn't formally move to that Rangers-Lightning series, but we can now. Uh, Rangers looking real good 
in terms of the score. One minute. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I, I know. I, <laughs> I still stand by that take from like 20 minutes ago. Uh, and okay. and yeah, so they, they managed to, you know, Shesterkin looked great. And they managed to come out to a 2 nothing lead. They even had a 2 nothing lead in the third game. Uh, but yeah, Tampa did the Tampa thing that I expected. Uh, where they just kind of poured on, dominated five on five, and scored three straight goals. With the last one, you know, coming with under a minute left, Andre Palat, good for him uh, to to you know kind of make this a series because otherwise it'd be three nothing, and we I would be much more upset about it. Uh, and the Rangers being that much closer to the Stanley Cup final, but yeah, maybe it was a bit of rust, especially that first game. You know, losing six two like that. Uh, Vasilevsky hasn't looked great the first two games either. Shesterkin's definitely been the better goalie, uh, but. It really did feel like a, a kind of switch turned on after the Rangers went up 2-0, uh, where the Lightning, even without Braden Point, uh, have you know managed to look like the better team, especially in that back half of Game 3. Yeah, I still I do think Tampa Bay is going to win this series because you, you, you'll remember they were my cut pick. Um, but I'll reiterate for like the, a millionth time, the Rangers have been very good this series. <laughs> But here, yeah. Here's 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 what I honestly here's what I think. Sure. I look at New York right now. I see their Vesna goalie playing like a Vesna goalie. I see their defense, you know, headmanned by last year's Norris winner and a great mix of several other defensemen. I look at their forwards and I go, you know, they're 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 very top heavy. <laughs> um, but that that kid line is you know satisfactory. <laughs> but man, if they still had Pavel Buchnevich, just imagine. Oh. <laughs> just imagine. What an awful deal. And like even honest every time I look at that top line, I see it written down. Kreider, Zabanajad, Vetrano. I'm just <laughs> reminded who played there last year and it's like, oh god. I, I know Vetrano's been been good. He's been a nice compliment. But he's no Buchnevich. And if he were on the third or even fourth line, I'd be like, wow, if a train was on your fourth line, you're really cooking here. Um, and it doesn't help the optics, I guess. That Actually, no, it does help the optics that Sammy Blay has been injured all year and he hasn't had the chance to show how bad he is. Because now it's like, oh, well, the, the guy we got back is injured. So, of course, the trade looked bad. Um, the trade was terrible to begin with. And now that they're in the conference finals and they're missing a top-line winger they could have just held on to, it hurts. I got to say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like Bergevich has been beyond his production uh, individually. He His play, you know, with Tarasenko has apparently, you know, kind of appeased Tarasenko. Doesn't want to, doesn't really want to feel, he doesn't feel the urgency to leave anymore. Uh, so mm-hmm. because of that, St. Louis gets to keep, you know, a decent scoring winger on top of getting Pavel Bergevich for free. Uh, so... You know, it's clear that he's he's making a big difference over there in St. Louis. Uh, and yeah, t- we haven't heard anything about Tarasenko wanting to leave in the last like six months, ever since he's had, you know, Bushnevich on the other wing. Uh, and yeah, giving, <laughs> yeah, you, you would feel much better about this team if you had Pavel Bushnevich on it, wouldn't you? Uh, especially, you know, with like a 2-1 two, two series lead. Uh, maybe you can really kind of shut the door on this thing. But, other, but you know, you don't. You don't have him anymore because you gave him away. So... Yeah, I mean, I still am not convinced that this team as a whole is playing as well as you may be saying. And I think you admitted it yourself. You, <laughs> you, you said the goalie, you said Adam Fox, you said the, you know, that top line, and then what, a satisfactory 
you know, kiddo line. I'm, yeah, well, I'm, they're playing, Boo. you know, over their heads right now. I'm talking about, you know, on paper, I look at this team, and I'm like, you know, they're they're they've got a good team. If only they had Buchnevich, and if only they were actually able to develop forwards. God. I don't know if we talked about this yeah. on here, but the Rangers are by far the worst team in recent memory at developing the forwards they draft, and not just like you know like mid-round picks they're high picks leah sanderson seventh overall totally flopped uh they ruined his development they yo-yoed him sent him back to europe brought him back he said trade me they trade him to the kings for the 60th overall pick ninth overall they take vitaly kravtsov totally sour that relationship he in the ahl uh, chris chris drury gets mad at him he gets mad at chris drury goes back to russia hasn't returned lafreniere and kako have both for the most part so far in their careers, not lived up to the hype yet. Obviously, they've shown flash flashes because they're great players. But when you're picked second or first overall, you expect a little bit more than, you know, two or three years into into your career as being part of a satisfactory kid line on the third line. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the story is, you know, the Rangers have been great. Um, I mean, Shesterkin found a gem in the fourth round. Zabanajad, they fleeced Ottawa. Panarin, Fox, Truba, all three of those key parts of their team said, I want to go to New York and I won't go anywhere else, basically. And so they kind of lucked into all of those players. Um, and if they could really maximize those lottery wins that they also lucked into, think of where they'd be. Right. Absolutely. Um, when it comes to Lafreniere and Kako, yeah, as they're like, you know, tw- turning 22, you're waiting for that big jump, but it doesn't seem to be coming. They seem to be like, you know, Topping out as third liners. That is extremely disappointing for a top two pick. Uh, so, you know, they, and yeah, when you see a pattern like this, you got, you only got yourself to blame. Uh, and, you know, something's brewing there developmentally. It's just, it's not happening. Uh, so, you know, as I said, I don't like this Rangers team. They give me, they give me many bad vibes and I continue to actively root against them. So I've got, I've, I've climbed onto the, uh, Tampa Bay bandwagon, and I'm cheering for them to make the comeback from down to nothing. I think they'll do it. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I really hope that finally we get a Stanley Cup final where it's like, wow, both these teams are really good. It could go either way. Because it feels like it's been a while. It's been a couple years. Yeah, it's been it's been at least three years. <laughs> yeah, actually, well, in 2019, it's because like Boston was definitely favored against St. Louis, but St. Louis won anyway. Um, so that one, I guess, doesn't. Really, I guess, really, I'm only thinking of the past two years where it was yep. Tampa against bad team, and Tampa won them both. Um, but now Colorado is up three nothing in the series, up one nothing in this game. I feel very confident saying they'll be there in the finals, and now it's kind of a, a matter of whether they end up, you know being quite evenly matched with the Lightning going for the three-peat or whether they're against the decidedly worst New York Rangers. I think we could see quite the unfun final if it is the Rangers and the uh, and the Avalanche. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I do not agree with that. Okay. I think, I think the fact that Shesterkin's there to begin with and can shift a series all by himself, I think it'll be fun. Every series... The Rangers have played in has been, you know, fun to a degree. Zabanajad and Kreider have been very flashy. Shusterkin is, you know, he's a marquee name already, basically. So 
Colorado might walk over them with relative ease, but it'll be it'll be exciting. It'll be fun for sure. And maybe we'll even end up being close. Who knows? You're right. It's hockey. We never know. Um, so yeah, we can we can shift over to that that series that you just mentioned. Uh, that's currently has game four going on. Uh, it's the Oilers and the Avalanche, and safe to say, given the series score, but also just the play in general, and even it sounds like the the score so far in Game Four, uh, very lopsided. Colorado's clearly the better team, uh, and yeah, McDavid, it, he just he just can't do enough. They've managed to kind of slow him down uh, and slow his offensive production down. And the other real kind of story is uh, Mike Smith sucks. He's terrible. And he shows it time and time again, especially in the series. Is he a UFA this year? Uh, no, he has another year. They, another year. They signed him for two years. Right. I couldn't remember if this was the second year, though, or not. Wow. Awesome. They're going to bring him back again. Even more Mike Smith. Can you believe it? <laughs> I can. And What's the deal on, uh, on Koskinen? Does he He's a UFA year? this year. Okay. That's a shame. So there is potential for upgrading, but or there is potential for saying Stuart Skinner's our backup now. <laughs> you're, you're you're absolutely right. It's incredible that he's forty years old, um, and it's incredible <laughs> that he managed to you know keep up his 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 gaudy save percentage. That was like in the nine twenties up until this point. Uh, but yeah, he's really kind of shown his ass. Like he's shown his ass occasionally throughout both series in the past, but now he's really you know done in over an extended period of time. And uh, yeah, it's tanked his entire team. What do you know? Uh, he's just, you know, letting bad goal after bad goal. Uh, you know, notably, you, know, you look at game three, uh, you have that, you know, that own goal that Darnell Nurse kind of scored. And then I thought the more unforgivable one, uh, you know, in the la- latter half of the third period, it's tied. JT Comfer of all people. He's, he's hot, you know, sure, but it's JT Comfer. And, uh, yeah, you know, a shot from the wing and, uh, it goes right fucking through him. And that's, that's your winner. And that there goes your, all your chances of making it to the final. And it's completely on Mike Smith, who will make the nice flashy save to keep you in the game. But for some, some reason, just manages to bungle it almost every single time. Yeah. I think I saw a stat the other day. He's like third all time in playoff save percentage. <laughs> no way. What? <laughs> uh, well, I assume there's a threshold of like a certain amount of games. But I think if memory serves. So in 2012, when he was on the Coyotes, he was like crazy good and dragging the Coyotes to the conference finals where they lost to the Kings. And he had a ridiculous save percentage that was like higher than 930. He didn't make it to the playoffs with the Coyotes after that, obviously. With the Flames, he made it a year. They lost in five games, but it was like, they lost in five games even though Mike Smith was amazing. Wow, they really blew it. Uh, And now he's back again this year. And as you mentioned, save percentage is high. So I think all time in the playoffs, he's like a 927 or something. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's unbelievable that he's 40 years old. Uh, and honestly, that's quite the achievement, but turning 40, being 40, 40. the the act itself is is (laughs) impressive. Uh, but yeah, no, just managing to, 
be an NHL starting goalie, uh, whether it's by talent or throwing temper tantrums. Uh, he did it. So, you know, kudos to him. But yeah, it's just he he always gives up the, like, the stinker. I don't know what it is. It's like I feel like even in the series, you know, Colorado scored so many goals. But, you know, there aren't that many where I'm like, oh, he had no chance. Or like, oh, what a great goal by Colorado. Um, it's, there's a lot of like, ah, oh, shit. He probably should have had that one, eh? Uh, and yeah, but he, you know, he'll be in the highlight reel. He makes a whole bunch of nice saves. Uh, <laughs> but the goals he lets in are always kind of kind of wonky, you know? And that's the Mike Smith experience. You know what else is wonky? The Bruins decided to fire their coach today. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Nazem Kadri's thumb. Uh, but oh, that too. Yeah, Vander Kane gave a really a dirty, cheap cross check right into uh, Nazem Kadri. Only a one game suspension. Um, and one discussion point i guess this totally nullifies my bruce cassidy segue because we're talking about this now sorry um <laughs> but anyway um did you see what tim peel said on twitter no i didn't what did he say what old man take tim, did he bring up today tim peel former nhl referee as of very not long ago who refed i assume many of nasim kadri's games tweeted karma <laughs> oh no oh no and then i think deleted it oh god but i don't he was i've verified like you know it was definitely real i even saw an art there was an article in my recommended on my phone that was like uh tim peel says it was karma the cadre whatever um which is a it's in poor taste for anyone but especially when it's someone who was an official in the nhl for so long and so soon after his retirement to so clearly tell everyone, look at one of the many biases I must have. It's extremely concerning. It puts the league's credibility into question even more than it already constantly is. Uh, and it's just it's just mean. And everyone was attacking him for it, obviously. But there was one uh, reply from, so, I don't even know who, that was like, you gotta cut Peelzy some slack or whatever. And it was like, who, who's gonna call Tim Peel Peelzy? What kind of person does that? Who's on such friendly terms with Tim Peel, and why are you doing that to yourself? Um, yeah, I, I, why does Tim Peel manage to do this all the time? Like, you know, that's why he was fired, right? He couldn't keep his fucking mouth shut about his own biases. Like, you know, like, it, well, it's a good good on him for, you know, airing them out so that we can get a better idea of what we're dealing with here uh, and not, you know, managing to close the, you know, candle lid. But yeah, he just, he has a tendency to run his mouth, doesn't he? Uh, and run his mouth in a way that really shows and uh, well, like, you know, really shows his ass and makes you question the integrity uh, with which he was refing. And uh, yeah, he was in the league for like, what, 20 fucking years? <laughs> what a joke. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just want to take a moment to eulogize the loss of Nazem Kadri uh, because, man, that guy was having a crazy playoffs, right? Uh, against the Blues. He, he was like, you know, the headliner, you know, got in their heads. Scored a bunch of goals. Even against the even against the Oilers, he was having himself a great series. Uh, like really, like game two, he kind of took over and with like you know McKinnon against McDavid, kind of you know the star matchup and whatnot. Uh, he really cleaned up his own matchup. Uh, whereas you know maybe that top line center matchup is 
kind of is a wash. Uh, he he really brought the scoring for the Avalanche, and so yeah, to see him exit the playoffs potentially not confirmed yet. He might return for the final. Who knows? Uh, but to see him potentially lose uh games in the Stanley Cup final after all this time for him, uh, on such a dirty fucking play, is quite the travesty. I gotta say, uh, because he was looking fantastic night in night out, and uh, yeah, fuck you, Evander Kane. That was that was, that was as dirty as it gets right there. Yeah, the report from Dreger is unlikely to be available for the remainder of the postseason, but isn't being ruled out officially. And the fact that that is, you know, A, you admit the play is dirty, it's clearly not accidental, um, by suspending him. And we also know that this player won't be won't be playing for the rest of the playoffs. And, you know, you don't want to fall into the trap of people saying, oh, the suspension should be as long as the player is injured for, because that's obviously a, a terrible idea. But when you acknowledge to begin with that the play was dirty and you already know the player's estimated injury timeline, it should inform the decision a little bit and extend the suspension a little bit. And, you know, people are always talking about playoff multipliers or whatever, or I guess regular season multipliers. I'm like, oh, uh, one game in the playoffs is actually worth two games in the regular season. Uh, well, you know what? Eat shit. Uh, suspend him for longer. There. That's what I say. Right. The act itself, even with a playoff multiplier, I would say that was so dirty. You know, give him six games in the regular season or three in the playoffs. You know? Like, that was like textbook dirty boarding. You know, in the numbers, uh, like, you know, a a few feet away from the boards, he's got his back to you. And, you know... Yes, the NHL does take into account the guy's injury and whether the player was injured in the in the instance. And he was. He clearly was. So I don't know what this one game nonsense is because I don't know if I've ever seen a more clear-cut instance of multiple games, even multiple playoff games, because, yeah, that was as dirty as it got right there. It Well, you know, not as dirty as I guess. You know, Tom Wilson might have something to say about that. But as textbook, I feel, as it gets, uh, to where you can point at it and it feels like it checks off all the things for boarding. There's real, there's no real gray line where it's like, oh, maybe, I don't know, he he didn't mean to or like, you know, Kadri lowered his head or whatever it was. No, this was clearly an illegal act of boarding that deserves a multi-game suspension. And I don't know why that's in the question for the league and they only gave him one. I found the Tim Peel thread. Well, not the Tim Peel thread. But the one that I was talking about, are you ready? Sure. Shoot. So so this is basically, so at she called Merrick had screenshots last forever at Tim C. Peel 20. And it's a screenshot of Tim Peel at 9.24 p.m. on June 4th in all caps. Karma! Exclamation point with 15 likes. And it says, this tweet has been deleted. <laughs> and, that, and screenshots... Uh, last forever tweet was quote tweeted by third period suits saying, is this fucking real <laughs> reply from at hall pass 83. He also apparently runs a ref camp. Hockey is doomed <laughs> reply from at beard face underscore MC. You're a huge baby. Next reply from at hall pass 83. This is all in one thread. Now explain then at beardface underscore MC replies, Peel is a great ref. I'm not sure what your problem is. 
Kadri has injured tons of players and is a dirty player. Seems like a fair take by Peelzy. Please don't conflate this with the racist attacks against Kadri that have no place in the game, of course. He still had it coming. <laughs> wow. Look, well, sounds like the Twitter discourse is thriving and is as productive as ever. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. Thank you. That was that was that was art. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know how you like t- First of all, who's going to a Tim Peel referee camp? Of all things, like the one <laughs> camp. Fuck, man, the one guy who got fired by the NHL, <laughs> like the one guy who was dumb enough to get caught and then fired by the NHL, like that's his. That's whose camp you're gonna go to. Like, I feel like you know, if you want to go to a ref camp, like good for you. You're committed to the bit, but like, <laughs> you bit. know, I feel like you could. Choose someone who's a bit more closeted asshole or closeted, you know, idiot than than Tim Peel. But you know, whatever. Make dig your own grave, I guess. Uh, but but yeah, that's just just bad takes all around on Twitter. What's I feel new? like this that applies to anyone who's teaching you how to do something instead of doing the thing itself. Like, why aren't you good enough to do the thing itself? And you're not good enough, so you got stuck teaching other people how to do it. Why should I be learning from you? You can't even do it. What's the saying? Those who can't do teach or whatever. I don't want to. I don't want to rag on the on teachers in general too much, though. You know, some people just that's their thing. Uh, but I can't imagine it's Tim Peel's thing. You know, I. I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his body of work is not quality enough for me to assume that he'd be good at teaching me anything, much less being at a, you know a judge of anything of, of what's going on in a hockey game of being a referee. Uh, so yeah, don't sign up for Tim Peel's camp. That's as today's message. Uh, and yeah, wow. That's, that's kind of gross to say like fucking karma to somebody's injury. Uh, seems yeah. like a no brainer thing. Not to say some Jack Edward shit. Remember when he did that? It was like, it was Roman Polak who like had one, I guess, questionable hit or something earlier in the game. And then later he had, I think, got like stretchered off or something. Oh, Jack Edwards. He said something. This was several years ago. He said something about karma. Or maybe it was like right after the hit. He was like, that's karma. And didn't realize how serious it was. But like, maybe that's just probably a word to always avoid in this situation. Maybe just, you know, it never needs to be broached. Yeah. That for a rule of thumb. How about steering clear of, of claiming that people deserve to be injured? I feel like. Yeah, yeah, you can you can avoid some dumb takes like that. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So how do we get to Tim Peel again? Oh yeah, Nazem. You Kadri. know who else yep. has a thumb? Bruce Cassidy. <laughs> That's true. And now his ass is fired as of like an hour ago, and I hadn't found out until you told me before we started recording. Mm-hmm. All right. So what what's our take? What what do we think in here? Here's okay. I'll go first. I'll kind of just spitball. On some Bruce Cassidy thoughts. Uh, from the time he was hired to now, I've always thought he's a pretty great coach. He came on, oh, when was it? Who was the, it was Claude Julien, got fired t- 2017. Um, and C- Cassidy came on right after. Um, Bruins didn't do so great in that playoff, but the year after, they got going again. Um, they, oh, 2018, what did they do? I think 
wait, they didn't make it to the finals that year. No, they lost in like round two that year, I think. Um, then it was the next year they made it to the finals. They got a they had a president's trophy in there at some point, I want to say, or at least got kind of close. It always felt under Cassidy that the Bruins were, you know, at their best. This year, they took a minor step back, and I think a lot of that was because of the absence of David Craigie and management failed to address the gap at center, and the team, you know, fell into a wild card spot because of it. I don't think any of it is Cassidy's fault. This kind of took me by surprise. I think, you know. Add him to the increasingly growing list of great coaches who are going to be available this summer. Yeah, absolutely. I I never really got an indication, like, you know, never got the vibe that he was, you know, a bad coach at all. And he he was he was a coach where you could count on him to make, you know, decent lineup decisions, kind of had a good pulse of the team, you know, whether it was, you know, lineup adjustments, you know, I know they ended up losing to Carolina, uh, but whether it was, you know, taking apart or putting back together uh, the the Ratatouille line and whatnot, uh, he just, you know, managed to extract a lot of good performance out of a team that, you know, was, was is rapidly aging uh, for, for large parts of their roster. Uh, and I never got the feeling that they kind of ever underwhelmed with their roster. It was just like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's about right. And, you know, first round exit, uh, given the roster of the runes this year and the competition that they kind of faced. Yeah. Feels about right. You know, like sure. It's, it's a team that's, you know, it's got second round caliber, but are we shocked, disappointed perhaps for Bruins fans, but you know, this is not a massive letdown. I feel, uh, to get eliminated in the first round to, you know, a good team in Carolina. And yeah, with the Bruins, you know, it, it does bring into question their management, I feel, because they've never been able to kind of f- fill out the depth scoring. And yeah, they never replaced Krejci. And, you know, with this year upcoming, uh, they're going to have a significantly depleted roster, especially to begin the year. You know, I don't know if you mentioned it, you know, McAvoy's hurt, Marshan's hurt. Uh, so, and they still don't have a second line center, Bergeron, you know, we don't know what's going on there. So are they tanking? I don't know. Tanking, but you know, I think we can very realistically say this is not a playoff team, barring any major, major improvements, which I don't think they really can under the cap, mainly because of the injuries. But also now they've let go of a, a really damn good coach. I just looked up NHL available coaches and I clicked on the first article I saw called Who's on the Market? 12 NHL coaching candidates. And the first name is Barry Trotz. And I was like, this sounds about right. And the next name was Kevin Deneen. And I scrolled up and the article is from 2014. (laughs) Was that intentional or you just, you just uh, inadvertently placed, placed yourself back eight years? Oh, no, I clicked on the first thing. I didn't realize it was 2014 until I was like, Kevin Deneen, this feels wrong. (laughs) Good to know. So check your sources. Don't forget. Um, Uh But yeah, no, he goes back into the hiring pool. I don't imagine he'll have a hard time finding a job because, yeah, he's one of the better ones out there. Um, It really is like Barry Trotz and then... Claude Julien. Yeah, Claude Julien. And then what? You know, like in terms of like really proven, like bona fide great NHL coaches don't come available very often. And... Yeah, see, Bruce Cassidy's got that track record. He brings teams to the playoffs with pretty good success. Yeah. Um, one fun thing about, you know, having so many coaching vacancies 
along with so many good coaches on the market, is that when there are a lot of good coaches on the market, there are more teams who are on the fence about firing their coach say, I could find someone better on the market and decide to fire their coach. So more fired coaches results in more fired coaches. That's my new theory. You'll love to see it. Um, I don't I don't know how much credence to give it, but if that's the case, I'm on board. Um, yeah, seems like, you know, everybody's talking about the coaching carousel upcoming this offseason. And yeah, if I'm Boston, I don't really see a way to upgrade barring, you know, you get Barry Trotz. But that's, you know, we haven't heard anything linking them together. Um, so hard to believe they'll be better next year. I got to say. Pete DeBoer. <laughs> He's generally pretty good in his first year. So, you know, yeah, just, just don't give him too many years. That's the deal. Uh, another coach, Martin St. Louis, got an extension. Three years. This is exactly what I warned against. Um, although, uh, <laughs> yeah, here's, right. here's what I'll say. I do think Martin St. Louis is not a good NHL coach based on the sample size and all the information that we have at our disposal. I think he stepped over the bar that Dominic Ducharme placed on the floor, um, but this team still finished in last, even though he had them for most of the year, or a big chunk of it. And I don't think he is the right coach to lead a contending team to victory. However, I think as a stopgap rebuild coach that you fire right before you want to get good, I think I think it works. And even even just going by something he said the other day, which was, of course, I want to win, but I won't do it at the expense of developing our young guys. It's like, you know what? To hear a coach say that, I want, I want to see him do it, obviously. I can't just take his word for it. But to see him realize at least what the right and smart thing to do is in a rebuilding situation, that's a good sign. So I think, you know, having him here for three years, if he's doing that, if he's really focusing on development, maybe it is a good thing. Yeah, I I, I agree with you on all fronts, really kind of like, you know, I don't think he's a good coach either, right? He's done nothing to prove it otherwise. But if he can't prioritize those, you know, young guys and accept the fact, accept his role as the guy before, you know, things kind of get going, the rebuild guy uh, where they're going to be bad for a few more years, probably because the roster is old and stinks for the most part. Uh, if he can just, you know, work on the development, if he knows his role, it can work. Um, but let's not convince him. Let's not convince ourselves that he's anything more than he is, which is, you know, a guy who has not shown himself to be a good NHL coach, right? His systems haven't, haven't really worked under Montreal. You know, who knows? Maybe he gets a full off season to prepare. Maybe he can cook up something fun, but let's not, let's not forget here. You know, the whole peewee coach before NHL shebang. Uh, yeah, he's just not experienced enough. And, you know, I don't think he can kind of lead a mid to high caliber NHL team, but whatever. As long as we don't, you know, as, as you know, the Habs don't buy it into him too much as the long-term guy, he's absolutely fine as the stopgap because, you know, it seems that he got, you know, Caulfield kind of going as the year ended. It's just, can he maintain that developmental focus? Uh, if he ever loses sight of that, it's then it's really time to pan push that panic button because it'll, you know, throw your whole fucking organization off the rails. Yep. Um, another thing Montreal did was they signed Chris Weidman to a two-year extension. Love <laughs> to see it. 
great power play defenseman, as Jim Benning would say. And it was, it was like, um, it was over two years. And because Liegeman is going up the year after next, it was, I think, the lowest possible AAV you could give on a two-year contract, which was like 762500 or something. So, Chris Wyman on a Liegeman deal, chef's kiss. Excellent piece of business. Yeah, you can't do much better than that. There's literally zero risk. Uh, he's terrible. Send him down. Who cares? Zero cap hit. Plus, the cap really doesn't really matter for the Habs anyways because they stink. So, you know, we're not really trying to maximize anything. Uh, so, yeah. That's, uh, I have no bad things to say about Chris Weidman. It was fun to watch in person against Minnesota. So there we go. That's the Chris Weidman experience continues in Montreal. Uh, how old is he? 30 experience. Nice. The Chris Weidman experience or experiment? I, I said experience uh, because he's beyond an experiment at this point. Uh, I know. <laughs> I just I, that could be a new funny bit to like refer to fringe players as like the experiment, like oh the Chris Weidman experiment. Uh, you know, the Oilers in the conference finals are still trying out the Warren Fogle experiment, <laughs> the Cody Ceci long term experiment. Um, yeah, the whole the Colorado Avalanche are really very much invested in the Jack Johnson experiment. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's paying off in spades, apparently. Uh, you so, have to yeah. say, th- this might not be our best bit ever. No, I gotta say, flat. it may be dead on arrival. Uh, yeah, oh well. I'm not buying into it. Oh well. Anyway. We right. tried. Let, let's let's talk about something else now. We were going to, we were considering uh, talking about uh, the draft a little bit, and maybe opening up Scott Wheeler's top 100 prospect ranking on The Athletic, and stealing information from there uh but we're already past an hour because you know we got sidetracked and dove deep into certain things as we tend to do so i say we go right into quiz time how about that sure let's do it uh so yeah it's my turn to uh, prepare and present a quiz for everybody here today uh and <laughs> everybody yeah everybody the whole crowd uh well i mean we we started the whole top of the episode about the whole bit um, thousands streaming in to listen to my quiz about a certain award because it is awards week. I think they just announced oh. Kyle Connor won the Lady Bing. Congratulations, Kyle Connor! You did it! Wow! Uh, and that, that really, that winning that award is a Kyle honor. I don't know how I feel about that joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> boo! Uh, so oh, yeah, on, that was good. I, I have a quiz about the. Everybody's favorite award, the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Oh, God, I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> um, now, I understand that nobody really kind of knows anything about it. Uh, but, who gives a shit? Yeah, who gives a shit? And so because you don't give a shit, it makes for an intriguing quiz because you won't know all the answers. Um, I won't know any of the answers. It's okay. That's why I've made a multiple choice for the most part. Okay, great. Uh, and so, yeah, we have Mark Messier. What a what a G. And I just wanted to point out just how dumb and absurd this award is. Um, whenever everybody talks about it, everybody kind of laughs at it. And for good reason. Because, uh, you know, it's just Mark Messier picking a dude every fucking year. So Wait, does Mark Messier pick the winner? Yes, he does. Mark Messier picks the winner of the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Are you kidding? 
<laughs> You're joking. I'm not fucking joking. This is why this award what? is the dumbest shit ever. What happens when he dies? Does the award just disappear? They haven't decided that yet because he's still alive. Oh my God. Oh, no. <laughs> what did the what, when he eventually does die? And of course, I hope it's not for a long time. Uh, it is going to be like four days before he was supposed to pick the winner, and they'll be like, "What do we do now? How do we do now?" Uh, that's right. This 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 the presentation of this award is extremely contingent uh, on. Mark Messier being alive, which you can't say about any other award. I think Lady Big's long dead, so you know those King Clancy. (laughs) That's right, and you know the 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 heart guy, whoever he might be. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Um, so there we go. All right, let's begin. So I've kind of split this in half. The first kind of it's ten questions. The first kind of six questions are. Or, uh, you know, fun facts about the Marc Messier Award. And then the bottom four questions, because I ran out of interesting things to, you know, say about the <laughs> Marc Messier Award, is me asking you multiple choice questions on who won. All right. There are, there are exactly nine interesting things about the Marc Messier Trophy. I think nine is generous. I think I stopped at six. <laughs> um, okay. Exactly uh, six interesting things then. That's right. Uh, and even then, interesting is... Very, very generous. All right. Uh, so you might not know this, but the Marc Messier Award, when it was first awarded, uh, was even dumber than it is right now. It was actually a monthly award. Every month, <laughs> Marc Messier himself picked his favorite guy, and he got himself an award. That's crazy. At the end of the year, he picked his overall leadership winner or whatever the fuck, and uh, that's how things went. Um, <laughs> truly some brain dead shit from the NHL. Oh, but uh, wow. here's my question. How many me- monthly Marc Messier awards were handed out? Wow, that was an alliteration to the max. Um, we have three, five, seven, or ten. How many how monthlies? Many, That's right. How many monthlies? Well, if it's during a regular season, you probably have October, November, December, January, February, March, April, um, which is seven. If it happened for two full seasons, that would bring you to 14. And I don't think they would have stopped it partway through a year. So one of the options was seven. Is that correct? That is right. Three, five, seven, ten. All right. So I'm, that'll be my guess. Seven. All right. Uh, you were right that it ran for only one year. But they didn't give one for in October for some reason. Neither did they in April. I guess it's because oh April. A... <laughs> Don't ask me why. Uh, but uh, there were only five, um, unfortunately. That's that's so. fucked. <laughs> Everything about this award is inherently stupid. Uh, so there we go. Okay. Um, I didn't. I decided not to multiple choice this one uh, for no good reason. But here we are. Uh, who is the only two-time winner of this award? And there's an asterisk because he won one annual and then one monthly. So, and your hint is he was active when the, when the whole monthly thing was happening. That was like 2006, 2007. Hmm. Okay. So it's not only someone who was active then, but it is someone who would have won it then. Um. Oh, this name comes to mind. Was it Daniel Alfredson? No, it wasn't. 
Uh, good try. It was Sidney Crosby. Oh, really? He won it in the second year. <laughs> That's right. He won a monthly Messier award in his that second one year. Have been multiple league. choice. That one should have been multiple choice. What were you thinking? I don't know. I have no idea what I was thinking. But um, here we are. My bad. Alberton, that was a good guess. I feel like I maybe yeah. someone one of the other leadership trophies. I feel like he won multiple times. Sure, I'm sure he did. Um, all right. Who is the only goalie to have ever won the award? Uh, I believe this was also a monthly Mark Messier award. Um, we have Henrik Lundqvist, Mark Andre Fleury, Roberto Luongo, and Carey Price. Hmm. I don't think it's Price because he had like barely broken onto the scene then. I don't even know if he was officially a rookie yet. Uh, Lundqvist, that was honestly like his second year. Flurry was like 22 or something. So I'm just going to go with the one who was oldest, even though maybe that strategy isn't so great uh, because I just found out Crosby won one. But I know Luongo was like, he was a leader guy, I think. He was captain of the Canucks unofficially for a year. So let's go with that. Roberto All right. Luongo. Good shit. It was Roberto Luongo. Won hey. the, I think it was the March, or maybe it was the December. Who gives a shit? Oh, I don't care. But <laughs> you know now, he was Mr. December, according to Mark Messier. All right. Um, okay, so here's my next question. Also not a multiple choice. Um, who is the only player to have won all of the awards that I think are pretty fucking ambiguous, which are the Lady Bing... Uh, this Mark Messier uh, and the Selkie Trophy. Only one player that won Messier, the Lady Bing, and the Selkie. That's right. Who is it? Is it multiple choice? No, it's not. Okay. This one is gettable. This one is gettable. I All think right. so. Okay. I know Pavel Datsuk won, uh, won Selkie and Lady Bing. Um, and so I'm just going to, that'll be my guess. Pavel Datsuk. No, it's not. Um, it's actually this year's winner, uh, Anzi Kopitar. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Wait. I Honestly, I I wouldn't have known if you if that Kopitar won a Lady Bing. So I don't feel too bad about that one. I wouldn't feel too bad about any of these questions, to be totally frank. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, here's my question. Does this award have finalists? Yes. No, the answer is no. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> so here's the twist, okay? Actually, up until 2019, there were three finalists. Okay, but it, so uh, there we go. It has finalists in the past. When uh, you look at all the past winners, there fine. are some finalists of the award. I, 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 I could see, you know, I wrote the question and I was like, man, this is a bit ambiguous. And then I decided not to clarify it. Um, so, you know what? I'll give you the point. Um, but Yay. I just want to point out that there's there's no documented reason for why there are no more finalists. But it's like, you know, they had graphics and shit for like up until like I think it was 2019 or 2020 or no 2019. But then for the last three years, fucking they just announced the guy. And I think Mark Messier is just really fucking lazy. I think I think that might be it because he doesn't even I name mean, any finalists anymore. Well, it's just one person voting for it. What's he supposed to be like? Here are my top three. I won't tell you who I picked yet, though. <laughs> right. Um, or maybe they ask him for his top three, you know? Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe he just can't name three NHL players anymore. So, and this is the only guy who he can name. Um, but sure. There we go. Mark Messier. 
Um, he doesn't pick three guys anymore. He only picks the one. So uh, I ran out of facts, and this is where I threw in a Mark Messier <laughs> trivia. Uh, here's a question. How many Stanley Cups has Mark Messier won to merit having his own award? Wait. I thought these questions were going to be like, who won this year or something? Yeah, you know? I thought so too. We're, That's coming starting pivoted. next question. Um, oh, but this oh, we've pivoted to Mark Messier facts. See, really? but this this is a bridge. This is a bridge question. All right, don't worry too much. Um, okay. The the next one will be like award related. Okay. How many Stanley Cups has Mark Messier won? Uh, well, he won I think five with the Oilers and one with the Rangers. So I'm gonna go with six. There we go. Well done. Good shit. Thank didn't, even you. With a, didn't, need, didn't even to multiple choice that one. Um, all right. I think you're at like three correct answers. Pretty good considering. Yes. Um, and who is the only winner to have won the award as a Columbus Blue Jacket? Do we have multiple choice? No, we don't. I mean, the only name that seems reasonable is Nick Foligno. Was that it? There we go. That's why. <laughs> um, good stuff. Ref four. I think if we set the threshold at seven, it's still attainable, which, you know, at this late stage of the quiz, impressive. Um, okay. Sure. All right. Who won last year? Here's my question. Uh, in 2021, was it Mika Zibanejad? Was it Patrice Bergeron? Was it Wayne Simmons? Was it Steven Stamkos? I'm sitting here. I hear the name Zibanejad. I'm like, I don't think that's it. Not It's not him. Then I heard Bergeron. I was like, mm, I don't think it's him either. Wayne Simmons, eh, no, I don't think so. It must be this last one. Stamkos, no, I don't think it's him either. I was in here with four <laughs> names, and, and I don't think any of them are correct. I don't know what to do. I vaguely remember Wayne Simmons getting some kind of recognition for whatever last year. But I f- also feel like this award usually goes to like a star player, which he is definitely not anymore. Well, uh, that'll be sure. That'll be my guess. Wayne Simmons. Ah, it was Patrice Bergeron. Oh, oh. he Ooh. was the player Mark Messier picked. You gotta put yourself in Mark's shoes, um, for a second. You know, take that advice. All right. Okay. What does that have to do with anything? You got. Right, you gotta put right. yourself in Mark Messier's shoes and be like. Who am I going to pick given the 2021 performances? And then uh, the maybe... Mark, the Mark Messier trophy is basically just the, the knockoff Selkie trophy. Went to Kopitar this year, Bergeron last year, Felino, however many years ago. Right. But, you know, it's the Mark Messier version, which makes it that much dumber. Um, <laughs> the Selkie trophy, but it's just one guy picking. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, 2020, who won? Was it Andy Green... Mark Giordano or Blake Wheeler? I don't fucking know. Mark Giordano. <laughs> Good shit. There we go. Yay. Mark picked a Mark. I think that that was well, that happened. Mark solidarity. There we go. Amen. Uh, he was on the mark. Good stuff. Uh, All right. 2019. This is the last question. Um, I think you have what five correct. That sounds about sure. right. Um, yeah. to get six, who won in 2019? Was it Nick Foligno? Was it Wayne Simmons? Was it Shea Weber? Or was it Derek Engeland? All of these names feel reasonable. I feel like Engeland won in Vegas' inaugural year, which would have been 2018. Foligno, I don't know if you're trying to 
trip me up or not by throwing him in. But I feel like he won the year Columbus was like really good. Like 2017 or something. So maybe you're just listing a bunch of like the winners of the mid-2010s. And only one of them is correct this year. All right, so there's England, Felino, Weber. Who was the other guy? Wayne. Simmons. Yes. Hmm. No, it's Gretzky. Okay, well, <laughs> do I guess Wayne Simmons twice in a row and risk being wrong both times? Yes, I do. Is it Wayne Simmons? Good shit. There we go. Hey. Man, if I continued, probably would have won because probably would have improved your rate. Because Derek England was the year before, and before that was Nick Foligno. So, well, I would have nailed it. I would have rocked that quiz. <laughs> In theory, um, you you really found your groove and found your way into Mark Messier's fucking shoes. That's good shit. <laughs> but you so, know what? Yeah, I deliberately after I realized we forgot to set a threshold before the quiz started, I deliberately yeah. didn't agree to any threshold afterward. So I'm deciding now. The threshold was 6 on 10, and I won. There we go. A huge victory uh, as as we end what may be the longest ever conversation on the Marc Messier Leadership Award. <laughs> yeah, you know, I found... You're the number one source of news on the Marc <laughs> Messier Leadership Trophy. That's us. This is, our, this is our niche. This award and Beckworm. <laughs> but I got to say, I, I was looking up Marc Messier Leadership Awards as one does... Uh, I mean, fun facts about the award. Uh, and I saw someone uh, who, like, a month ago or whatever, posted, like, it was, like, you know, two guys talking, decent, you know, video production. Uh, it was a five-minute YouTube video discussing who's going to win the Mark Messier Leadership Award. And I just want to give my hats off to them for, you know, <laughs> having that very productive discussion. Uh, they, not, neither of them mentioned Anzi Kopitar in those five minutes, so... You missed on that one, buds. But uh, I respect the bit. Uh, and I mean, I mean, the that game really is. What do you think Mark Messier's thinking? What mood is he in this year? Exactly. That's what makes it that much dumber that anybody would ever try to spend any amount of time trying to predict who wins the fucking award when it's one person who picks it. Um, but they did. It's also it's one person who picks it upon extremely arbitrary criteria. If it was exactly. one person picking the Hart Trophy or the Norris Trophy, then maybe, you know, it would be worthwhile to guess. This is leadership. No one even knows what it means. Right. The 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 guidelines are expressly vague. Um, so, you know, if you're ever an NHL player, you want an, you want a major award, you might want to hit up Marc Messier every so often, you know, check up on the dude. Yeah. Send him some Christmas cards or whatever. Yeah, send him your CV. Look at me. I'm leading. <laughs> look, at all, look at everyone I led this year. Send him some references. Why not? Do the whole bit. <laughs> Reference letters. Yeah. Uh, the day our podcast peaks will be the day Beck Warm wins the Mark Messier Leadership Trophy. <laughs> Everything will have come together. And yeah. we will never... Well, there there will never be anything higher than that, but you know, nope. That's that's contingent on that happening, which, you know, I don't know if I want to put my eggs in that basket. So yeah, there goes that quiz. Um, I'll try to avoid that topic in the future. And 
Is there anything else you want to mention as we end this first week of June 2022? Last thing I'll mention is that it is 1-1 between Colorado and Edmonton. Oh! In the second period of game four. Shit. Yep. Uh-huh. And I think Colorado is going to win. I think they're going to sweep. It's a good there. take. Thanks. All right. All right. Uh, that's it, I guess. Thanks for listening to Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Twitter, at Alex's new handle. Or, and or, I suppose, at Taisefu. We'll be back next week with some Guess Who and some other stuff. And probably some draft talk. I feel like we, we should get going on, on that because the draft it's is time. in uh, 31 days. So I agree. Yep. So, yeah, it is... We, it is time for us to talk about David Yurichek and Simone Nemich and Joachim Kemel and Brad Lambert and and Cutter Gautier. So tune in next week for, for some of that talk. The end. The end.